Man, it is so good to be with you today. The last time I stood on a stage or a platform at Grace Covenant Church was 2005 when Jennifer and I were being sent out from this house to plant a church in Orlando, Florida. And can I just say it's good to be home. So good to be with you. Thank you so much. Our time here was amazing. We made so many good friends. And thank you so much for investing in us, for believing in us, for sowing into us, for sending us, for praying for us, for cheering for us uh, along the way. Um, We basically got to Orlando and did what we saw done here. We just started trying to live well for Jesus and tell everybody we knew about him. And in the process of doing that, we've since had the ability to do what's happening here an awful lot. We've planted multiple churches. We have High Point Church in Orlando that we lead. We've uh, sent a team up to plant High Point Church in Atlanta. We have High Point Church in Birmingham, Alabama. We've planted three churches in Cuba. And we have now Coastland Church in St. Thomas in the U.S. Virgin Islands. So thank you on behalf of your children, your daughter church, and your little grandbaby churches. We thank you so much for extending and advancing the kingdom of God and uh, At the risk of stating the obvious, you're an amazing church. You really, truly are. And uh, I had the privilege on Friday of working with your staff members. We did like a five or six hour team building thing. And um, you have incredible leaders. And you have leaders who love you very, very much. I know that they're incredible leaders because I see them when they're not leading. Many of them have been in my home and we've had the privilege of being in their homes. And let me tell you, what you see is what you get. When you see them stand up here, they're not acting, they're not pretending. What you are getting to see is the overflow of a life well lived behind closed doors. They are the genuine article. And when I tell you they love you, it's not just because they stand here and tell you. I talk to them when you're not around. And I know what they say about you. And I know how they brag about you. And how they're excited. And let me tell you, it's not just what they say about you, it's how they say it. I see the twinkle in their eye when they talk about the privilege of getting to lead you. So you are well-loved, you are well-led, and it is an honor to be with you today. As Pastor Sean had mentioned, I had the opportunity to play professional basketball uh, for a number of years, and when I played for the Orlando Magic, I played with a a guy you may have heard of named Shaquille O'Neal. Shaq is, I'm seven feet, Shaq is this much taller than I am. His shoulders are about this much wider. And just between you and me, his booty is that big. So when he like steps into you, I'm telling you, he'll hurt a brother. I know. I had to guard him every day in practice for two years, and I still have bruises. So we played the same position, which means I didn't play very much. Right? I mean, I know it was tough. The coach would be like, let's see, who should I put in? Tower O'Neal, Tower O'Neal, eeny, meeny, miny. Mo fell on Shaq all the time. It was the weirdest thing. So I didn't play much, but I say with all humility, I played at the most important times. Here's what I mean by that. We had a, a, a sponsorship deal with the Magic between us and, and our local McDonald's. And if the team scored 110 points and won, everybody in the arena got a free Big Mac. Now, back in those days, kind of the old school smash mouth NBA, like we were scoring games in the 80s. So if you got 110 and won, it means you blew them out. Which means... We're nearing 110, we're up 30 points. Let's get Shaq out so he doesn't get hurt. 
let's put Tower in. Maybe he'll just hurt somebody. Who knows? <laughs> so I didn't play much, but I got in. At the time, they called it the Mac Attack. So the announcer would come on it at, 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 as soon as we got 100, 100 points on our way to 110, we'd get to 100 points and he'd come on, 10 points for the Mac Attack. And everybody would scream and yell. Now the catch was, you had to stay until the end because they would stamp your ticket on the way out, which was great for me because 20,000 people still got to see me play. It was fantastic. <laughs> We'd score another basket, 102 points. Eight points for the Mac Attack. I checked in one game. We had 106, so we were four points for the Mac Attack. But there was under 10 seconds left. wasn't very much time. We had the ball, and we threw it in, and our guy came down and scored, made it 108. Two points for the Mac Attack. Now, there's only like four seconds left. So normally what would happen, we're beating them by 30, is they just let the ball bounce out of bounds. They don't even bother throwing it in. Time runs out and they just go home licking their wounds. Well, for whatever reason, our opponent throws the ball in and the guy takes off up the court. Now I haven't been in in a long time. I'm thinking if I run with this guy and he shoots, maybe I can get a quick rebound and get in the stat book, you know? Real team oriented. But anyway, so he comes pushing up the court. Sure enough, throws up a crazy shot and, and it bounces off and there's less than a second left and I grab the rebound. So I'm in the book. And then for some strange reason, they foul me. So here we are, under a second left and I have two free throws with 20,000 Big Macs hanging in the balance. So I'm way down at the far end of the court. I've got to walk all the way down to the other end of the court. And it's just the, the most surreal, weird experience because this murmur started as I'm starting to walk. You can kind of hear this sort of hushed, you know, whisper working its way up. And I kind of listened closely. And, and, and this murmur goes up and you can hear him saying, who is that? <laughs> And then by the time I get almost to about half court, you know, it's like Toner, Thompson, Tower, Tower? And before long, it's like this just kind of subtle Tower, Tower, Tower. I get to the top of the key, and now everybody's standing. Tower, Tower. I walk up to the free throw line. Tower, Tower. The referee handed me the ball and st went deadly silent. Now, you need to know this about me. I'm clutch. I just want you to know that. All right. <laughs> One point for the Mac attack. I hit the first shot. Everybody's standing to their feet. Tower, tower. Some lady yells, tower, will you marry me? I'm like, honey, it's a hamburger. Raise your standards. I mean, it's not even Chick-fil-A for crying out loud, man. So they are screaming, I have 20,000 new friends. I'm the most popular guy, certainly in the arena, maybe in all of central Florida. Tower, tower, they love me. They hand me the ball and <laughs> Now you need to know this about me. I've played in March Madness in college. I've played in the NBA playoffs, played in a state championship in high school, and I have never been more nervous 
for an athletic moment in my entire life, but I'm clutch. Just want you to know that. I missed. And I lost 20,000 friends like that. They went from a screaming my name to boo, you stink, cursing me, cursing my mom, cursing my wife, cursing my dog. I'm like, it's a hamburger, dude, relax. My goodness. <sighs> from hero to goat in just a moment. <laughs> Can I tell you, <laughs> most of the stuff you're investing your life in is about as fleeting as those 20,000 friends. Most of the things that keep Americans up at night, you know, worrying about, stressing about, you know, most things that Christians direct their prayer to, apply their faith to, oh God, if Susie in third period will just look at me. Most of them are about as fleeting as those 20,000 friends. However, if you will invest yourself fully with your prayer, with your faith, with your time, with your gifts, with your passions, with your talents, with your relationships, if you will invest yourself fully in walking well with Jesus... And then you will translate how well you walk with Jesus into assisting others to walk well with Jesus. There's no diminishing return in that. It doesn't get less valuable tomorrow. In fact, every day you do it, every day you give yourself to it, your walk with him gets better and those around you start to walk with him more effectively. Pastor Brad asked if I would speak about our every nation family of church's core value of discipleship. And discipleship is simply this, you walking well all the time with Jesus, and by virtue of you walking well with Jesus, so will others. I'm going to take a little bit of an unconventional discipleship passage. We're going to go old school today from 2 Kings. Uh, we'll read from 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 32 uh, to 41. And I think in here we're going to find something that's important for us as we consider discipleship in the days and hours in which we live. 2 Kings chapter 17, starting in verse 32. They worshiped the Lord, but they also appointed all sorts of their own people to officiate for them as priests in the shrines at the holy places. They worshiped the Lord, but they also served their own gods in accordance with the customs of the nations from which they had been brought. To this day, they persist in their former practices. They neither worship the Lord nor adhere to the decrees and ordinances, the laws and commands that the Lord gave the descendants of Jacob, whom he named Israel. When the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites, he commanded them, do not worship any other gods or bow down to them, serve them or sacrifice to them. But the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt with mighty power and outstretched arm is the one you must worship. To him you shall bow down and to him offer sacrifices." You must always be careful to keep the decrees and ordinances, the laws and commands he wrote for you. Do not worship other gods. Do not forget the covenant I have made with you and do not worship other gods. Anybody picking up a little vibe here? Rather worship the Lord your God 
It is he who will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies. They would not listen, however, but persisted in their former practices. Verse 41, I think one of the most tragic, sad statements in the entire Bible. Even while these people were worshiping the Lord, they were serving their idols. To this day, their children and grandchildren continue to do as their fathers did. The nation of Israel in this text has just been taken captive by the Assyrians. They're nine generations, nine dynasties removed from when they lived as a united country. In the promised land, fulfilling the purposes of God as a united people. Then there was a rift and the southern kingdom became Judah. They started to become known as the northern kingdom, the nation of Israel. Nine generations later, they have fully fallen away from the things of God and the Assyrians take them captive and move them out. And then to, because the land is really a choice place to live, they start to move in people from other nations. And they really have a, a melting pot, sort of a hodgepodge of languages and ideas and, and tribes and thoughts and worship styles and all this kind of stuff. And when the people get there in this promised land, they realize it's not just great real estate. There's just something different. Like they're sensing the presence of God, the God of this land. And they're going, we, it just almost feels foreign. I know we're foreigners, but it, it really feels foreign. Like there's a, a different power at work here. So they write back to the Assyrians and say, would you send some of those Israelites, some of the people that know about the God of this land, would you send them here to maybe disciple us or train us up in understanding how to live in a land with this God? So the Assyrians send some of the top leaders of, the, of Israel back to help train them in the ways of God. And it doesn't go super well, as we can see from this text. And it's not terribly unlike today, right? Many of us come from different backgrounds. Many of us had different ideas and traditions growing up. Maybe you grew up in a church that was different than this. Maybe this is your first time ever attending a church. But we have ideas that we learn along the way. We have traditions. We have customs. We have views of this, this kind of big guy in the sky out there somewhere. And discipleship is the process of bringing a very clear, strong, concise, accurate view of who God is in such a way that we can follow him well. And the Israelites are trying to bring this, but what they're finding is not terribly unlike today, is there's the, the people there are starting to sort of pick and choose the parts of God they like. And consequently, it's not going super well. In this passage we read, I think is a statement that's applicable for their day, certainly, and I would venture to say the day in which we find ourselves. Verse 41, even while these people were worshiping the Lord, they were serving their idols. That statement appears three times in this passage. Even while they were worshiping the Lord, they were serving their idols. Three times in nine sentences. They were worshiping the Lord, but serving their idols. Did you know you can worship God and serve an idol at the same time? Now, I hope you don't have like a little wood shop in your basement where you're making statues. And I hope you don't have like a metal shop in your garage where you're like forming and carving idols out of metal and stuff like that. Let's hope you're not doing that. However, you might be so into your golf game 
You might be so invested in your four-year-old soccer prodigy that all you can see is a D1 scholarship and maybe your future 401k if they just, you know, get out there a little bit more. You might be so excited, so driven toward the corner office that, man, what's a Sabbath? I've never heard about one of those because I got to get ahead. Maybe for you, it's your ministry. If I just lead a big enough life group, Pastor Brett will notice me. So push, 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 strive, strive, strive. You can worship God and serve an idol at the same time. You and I can find ourselves so into something that even though we attend church, even though we sing the right songs out loud, even though we show up at a world conference in Orlando this summer, shameless plug, Even though we're, we do certain things and follow certain actions, we are so into something else that that's actually where we apply our faith. That there's something else that starts to dominate your prayer. There's something else that starts to grab your full attention. God gets your worship, but idols get your devotion and your service. See, my friends, singing God's praises and serving God's purposes aren't the same thing. Any more than what you say and what you do are the same thing. When you and I chase other things, when we serve other things, when we pursue other things, we can actually miss becoming the only thing that God has put us on this earth to be. We can miss actually becoming the only thing that Jesus died for you and I to actually become. A disciple. One who follows him well and fully in such a way that those around us can now easily follow him well and fully. In fact, when Jesus said this about discipleship, kind of the great command, it's a message on discipleship, we sort of have to mention Matthew 28. When Jesus gave us this New Testament charge toward discipleship, called the Great Commission, he said this in Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded to you. That's a pretty high bar. Everything that I commanded and in some ways, command kind of has a negative connotation these days. We can look and go, man, I don't want to be told what to do. But he commands us to do things that are actually good for us. Like if your boss came in and said, here's, here's how you get your bonus. Do these things. And you go, well, I want to do those things. Well, that's fine. You can do those things. But this is how you get your bonus. Is he restricting you or is he blessing you? He's giving you the route to blessing. It goes this way. But you and I tend in the day and age in which we live to go, you know, we kind of get our new fandangled ideas about religion. Like, I don't know that, you know, Jesus wants us to be like super radical, right? Like, I mean, those people at Grace Covenant, like they even go like midweek to a life group. That's, you know, surely he doesn't expect that. And we think that's a new thought, even though 2,000 years ago, Jesus actually warned a very complacent culture to not do that, to obey everything. But if you miss that, 
Maybe you want to go back 500 years before that to the passage we looked at. We're in 2 Kings 17, verse 32. It says, they worshiped the Lord, but they also appointed all sorts of their own people to officiate for them as priests. See, you, you can have an idea of who God is and then just appoint other people to tell you what he's like. And you can always find one who describes him a lot like you want him to be. Not radical. He's okay. He's, he just loves you anyway. Despite Jesus saying, I want you all in obeying every one of my commands. And despite this text actually saying, these same people hired people to tell them they were okay doing what they were doing. And maybe you want to miss that and go, I don't know about all this. Let's go back to when the whole story started. Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, the first two chapters in the entire Bible, is a story of creation. You might be familiar with it. God speaks and says, let there be light, and there's light and cosmos and stars and cool stuff. And then he starts making all the things in creation. He makes the land, and he makes animals, and he makes the sea, and he makes all these beautiful things. And eight different times in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, there's this little phrase. God makes something awesome, and then it says he looked at it, and he said, it is good. So he made Clearwater Beach in the state of Florida. You should come see it sometime. It's awesome. And he goes, that's good. He made the view from Pastor Jim's place out over the Shenandoah and goes, oh, that's good. He hit a ribeye in a cow and said, ha, ha, ha. When they discover that. He took a chicken and says, when they marry that thing with buffalo sauce, buddy, they're going to praise my name a whole nother level. He just made and said it was good and made it was said it was good and made and said it was good. And then the pinnacle of his creation, he makes man and wife, Adam and Eve. He makes two people and in his image and now he, he has this little kind of internal conversation and says good doesn't even begin to describe it. You know what this is? This is very good. The word can also be translated awesome. So the only thing God has put in the earth is good, very good slash awesome. And then he places them in this garden, Adam and Eve, and he says, you know, gives them a job, hey, till this thing, it's going to be awesome. They walk with God uninterrupted, only experiencing good. It's incredible. Oh, but he says, I'm going to put a tree over here. Don't eat from that. You can have anything else on planet earth you want, just not that one. This is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I don't want you to eat from that. So then in Genesis chapter 3, Scripture says that there was a serpent that came in, and he was more crafty than all the other animals. And he kind of slithers over and starts speaking to them. That's usually a bad sign. All right, when a snake talks, run. <laughs> but it comes up and goes, did God say you can't have these trees? And they said, oh, no, no, we can have anyone, just not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he goes, oh, do you know why God won't let you have the, knowledge of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And they go, I don't know. Do tell us, oh, talking snake. And the talking snake says, hmm, because God's holding back from you. Whatever do you mean, talking snake? Here's what I mean. If you eat of that tree, you will be like God. You'll now, now, now have the knowledge of good and evil, and he's holding that back from you. Now let me ask you a question. 
In Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two, when God made everything and he looked at it and he inspected it, he said, it is? Mm. And then when he made people, he said, they are very. And then the snake comes along and offers them the knowledge of good and? Oh, what do they already have? So what is the only thing he can actually offer them? Oh, they already had good. They had everything that was good and they had only good contained in God. And the serpent comes along and goes, he just doesn't want you to know the knowledge of good and evil. They already had the knowledge of evil, oh, or of good. So the only thing he's offering them is the same thing he can only offer you and I. The knowledge of evil. See, the root of every deception you and I will ever face is that something good can come from disobeying God. It can't. You already have good in him. So when Jesus says, follow all of my commands, he's only saying, this is the way of good. He's not saying, well, let me just kind of constrict you in handcuffs and lead you to my commands. He's going, do you want good? Here's good. Here is all good. And when you and I go, yeah, but, uh-oh, yeah, Jesus, I know you're saying that, but I have a different idea. The only thing your different idea can produce for you is not good, which is evil. And we choose that because we think God is holding something back. He actually is, my friends, holding something back. He's holding back you experiencing the pain, shame, and humiliation that comes with knowing evil. And I would say that's a good. So even when he says no, he is trying to keep you from experiencing that which hurts and derails your destiny. So even when he says no, it is an experience of his goodness. It matters that you and I walk well with Jesus. It matters that we do what he says. Both for you to have the fullest experience of what's here in life and for you to avoid the pain, the shame, the derailing effects of walking in evil and because discipleship happens whether you want it to or not. What I mean by that is the way you walk with God is caught by the next generation. Whether you're intentional, deliberate, or not, they're going to follow you. Look at what this text says in verse 41. Even while these people were worshiping the Lord, they were serving their idols to this day. Their children and grandchildren continue to do as their fathers did. We don't see any word where it says that they taught or trained them. But here's the reality about human nature. More is caught than taught. They weren't taught. They just watched. They just encountered an experience. They were just led in the ways, not what their hands were worshiping, what their hands were doing. Not in where their words were going, but in where their service went. To idols and idol things. How many of you, just out of curiosity, 
that are parents in here. And you got that little bouncing baby bundle of joy, right? You know that moment when you're sitting in the hospital, first time or two you hold them, and you're both going, oh, they're so cute. And it, it, it's impossible in that moment to not start dreaming, right? Oh my gosh, someday they're going to become. How many of you in that moment, when you're holding this tender gift from God, you and your wife, your spouse there in this moment, and you look at this child and go, oh, Lord, let it be so that they would grow up and just be deceived. <laughs> oh, Lord, may they walk in so much deception that they get robbed of their destiny and purpose for which you created. Oh, God, let it be. How many of you, when you're taking a risk and you're opening your home for a life group this time, you never have before, you've been attending, and now someone takes a risk and says, okay, would you host it? And man, you're baking brownies, right? And you're hoping it's gonna be awesome, and you're nervous, and you want this incredible environment, and you're talking to God, and you're going, oh God, just, just use my house for people to be deceived. Wouldn't that be great? Oh God, just let people come in here and get so deceived by the way I live that they miss their destiny. How many of you, when you think about your family members and go, I really want them to serve God. Man, my teenagers, I just hope someday that they walk well with God. And you know, right, that's the thought we have. Not, man, I hope my teenagers, when they grow up, they're deceived. Yet if you don't commit fully, if you don't personally decide to walk well, your children and your grandchildren, all those you care most about having a great life, are going to just do what you do. You know when you tell your teenagers they need to serve God and then you don't bother getting up to drive them to youth group? I mean, you don't do that, but it happens in our church some. When we tell our children that they really need to trust God and then they watch you freak out. You see, Jesus said, follow all my commands. And if the gospel is true and real and lived, if Jesus is both honored out of our mouth and followed in our action and service, whew, those coming behind you are going to do the same. Let me give you one last thought. There's a couple big ideas in your notes, but whatever, we're not getting to them. <laughs> Tune in and watch the third service. It'll be great. <laughs> Might preach for an hour. Who knows? All right, I'm just kidding. I would never do that. The thing to keep in mind with discipleship is there's a difference between telling and doing. There's a difference between talking about God, worshiping God in your words and in your actions. There's a difference between telling someone how to follow God and following God so that they catch it. A few years ago, Jennifer and I were going to get married. 24 years ago. And it was time for like the wedding ceremony, you know, you're planning all that kind of stuff. And she's like, what kind of flowers should we get? And I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> well, what kind of meal should we serve? I guess, nah, I don't care. Well, should we have this and that? I'm like, I, you know what, babe? Honestly, I really don't, like, I know we want to be in this process. I'll just smile and say, awesome, if you want me to. But I don't, I just don't super care. 
whatever. Have the wedding of your dreams. But there was this weird, I had this weird fixation on one facet of our wedding ceremony, the first dance. Because I was gonna have a lot of my basketball teammates there and they are world-class ruthless trash talkers. And I didn't know a whole lot about dancing other than the locker room. They just used to say, hey, when you're big and white, keep it tight. I'm like, okay. <laughs> That's all I knew. So I'm like, <laughs> man, the last thing I want is in front of my teammates, I'm doing this deal, right? You're real fancy and add like a 90 degree turn. I'm like, okay, I will never hear the end of this. So I'm kind of stressing out about this detail. I'm like, babe, like, I gotta learn to dance. And she goes, well look, there's an ad in the newspaper. For $10, you can get three dance lessons. And I'm like, that's perfect. I'll be Fred Astaire. So we pay our 10 bucks, we take our three lessons, and you know what you learn in three dance lessons? Just how bad you are. Like now I have proof. So then they see you in this shocked moment of like, wow, I really am a terrible dancer. And then they bring you into the office and they go, we can fix all your problems and give you dance lessons for a mere $4,000. I was so tempted to write that check. But I noticed in the owner of the dance studio, I started looking around and I see some like Orlando Magic memorabilia. And I said, oh, you a Magic fan? said, yes, I am. Biggest fan you have. they have. I go, I play for the team, you know. Oh, no way. <laughs> I said, hey, would you consider maybe I could like give you some tickets to a game? Now, just between you and me, in case he's listening, I, I get them for free. <laughs> but he doesn't know that. I could get you some really good seats for a game, maybe in exchange for some dance lessons. He goes, oh, man, I would love that. But I'll tell you what I really want. If you could get me one of Shaquille O'Neal's <laughs> autographed shoes. If you can get me his autographed shoe, I will give you all the dance lessons you want. You can come in whether we're open or closed. I will have one instructor who just belongs to you. Day or night, we'll choreograph your dance, send us the music, the man, for a Shaq shoe. Now, he also didn't know this. My locker is right next to Shaq's. So I can easily get a shoe. Now, whether Shaq shines it, or it's signed by Shaq, if you know what I mean, <laughs> that's open for debate. <laughs> but I'm like, deal. So my college roommate was a piano major. He, he played Baby I'm Amazed by Paul McCartney, real cool, sent it on a you know, cassette tape, I know, sends it down to Orlando, and man, this lady, you just, she just watches this dance, and she choreographs this beautiful dance, and she looks at me and goes, you're kind of stiff, so we're going to do a foxtrot, I'm like, whatever, so a foxtrot's like this, and I, I start counting, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and she goes, let me help you out. You are stiffer than I thought. <laughs> and she's like, I need to loosen those hips up a little bit. So imagine you're a pendulum of a clock. <laughs> Got it. Pendulum 
of a clock. She goes, you just, just think clock. And I'm like, tick tock, tick tock, side again. Tick tock, tick tock, tied. She goes, you don't have to say that out loud. <laughs> I'm like, baby, when do we get to the dip, you know? And she's like, just get your tick tocks. So the, the moment of truth happened. We learned our whole thing. It was incredible. It, we've just got married. It is dance day. woo we step out, all my buddies are lining the thing, can't wait to bust on me. My college roommate sits down, flips the tails of his tux at this large grand piano. Tick tock, tick side together. Tick tock, tick tock, side together. Tick tock, tick tock, side The strangest thing happened. Despite having 500 guests there and my college roommate playing the song, about halfway through that dance, everyone disappeared. I don't hear the music anymore. I'm only conscious of the fact that it's me, it's me standing right in front of the love of my life. Somewhere right before the big turn, oblivious to anyone else in the room, she said this to me. Will you always love me like you do right now? I said, oh yeah, baby. <laughs> like a clock, loose. And then she said, will you always dance with me? I said, oh yeah, how about that dip? Here's the deal. I'm not always a great husband. I try. <laughs> I'm just kind of a knucklehead sometimes. I don't always tell her the right things. I don't, I'm not always great with words in that moment. You know what I mean? However, there, there are times, not nearly enough, but there are times after we get the kids to bed, we're right there in our living room with nobody around and no music playing. I'll just walk over and say, can I have this dance? <laughs> and we'll work our way around the dog have to do a little spin around the coffee table. And right there with nobody else, it's just me and the love of my life. And even though there's a lot I haven't done right and said right, can I tell you, she knows that I love her because of what I'm doing. It's not about what you say. It's not about how high you lift your hands on a Sunday morning. It's about what you do with your hands the rest of the week. Because it's very easy to praise God and serve an idol. 
And my friends, when it comes to discipleship, talk's cheap. And action speaks. You may not get it always right, but can I tell you, your devotion to God is demonstrated in what you do. I want to pray for you. Because I just have a feeling some of you in this place, in this moment, God is inviting first and foremost into a dance with him. I feel this extension towards some of you right now. You're hearing, walk with him. Well, I don't know that I've ever started walking. He's just going, what do you say? Just you and me. I don't care about all that. I mean, I care about all these other people, but this is just you and me. And then there's others that he's inviting for you to put every other thing down, put down your other things that you're excited about, other things that you're anxious about, and just take his hand and get up and let him lead you all around the rest of your days. And if you will do that, those you care most about that are following will catch it. Let me pray for you, Lord Jesus. There's many in here you're offering right now an extension. And I, Father, I pray, Father, that those that are in this very moment hearing you call them, speak to them, extend an offer to them, that they would be yours from this moment forever. God, I pray right now that you would soften hearts. If God's speaking to you and inviting you into a relationship right now, it's just between you and him, nobody's looking except me. I want you to raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for. Yep, 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 yep. It's as simple as this, Lord Jesus, yes. I say yes. God, I am no longer gonna lead my life. I'm no longer gonna pilot it. I'm no longer gonna make the decisions like I'm actually boss of it. I say yes to you to your goodness. I turn from everything I know to be sin. I turn from every decision I make that I think somehow I know better and it's actually destroying me and I say yes to you and your goodness right now. And Lord Jesus, for the rest of us, it's really this simple. Just walk well with you. (laughs) And God, as we do, there's no question it'll be taught no question that will be caught. There's no question the impact that we'll have because Lord Jesus, I'm living proof. God, may your hand be extended and may your goodness be overflowing to each precious saint in this room. In Jesus' name, amen.